And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and that is David Pascarella. How's it What's going? Up? It's going. How you doing? All right, not bad. So I'm gonna pull back the curtains. So this way, we take no blame for anything. Because I think that is the way of our society. When I talk to my kids, I don't ever hear, yeah, that's my fault. I'm sorry. So I think that's the way of our society nowadays. Anyway, uh, we're kind of playing the last minute episode here because despite the fact that our uh, fellow podcasters were nice enough to give us a month's worth of uh, reprieve, uh, we're still running low on episodes and... Life has gotten in the way, so we haven't been able to do what we wanted to do. So now, at the last minute, Dave and I were like, well, let's do an episode. And so I had to pick a book that I'm pretty familiar with, and I you know, re- reviewed it again for the purposes of today. Um, but we're going to just do one book, and such is life. But what I picked, I think is interesting and could have some conversation. I picked Spectacular Spider-Man number one, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of the one with the tarantula jumping at Spider-Man with his pointy feet out. That's not it. This is from 1968. It was a magazine-sized issue. It's been black and white, and I remember at the same comic store that, that Dave and I have been talking about on numerous occasions, I bought this book, and it is in uh, prime whip-to-shit condition, and I think I probably paid... If I paid five dollars, it was a lot. When did you I, buy it? You it was in the 1970s. Okay. So you know, it was, it was probably probably in the early to mid 70s, and uh, you know, so it wasn't all that old at the time, and it was beat up. And but I remember, you know, there were two issues of this particular series. The second issue is in color. It's slightly smaller uh, as far as the size of the book itself, and it had a really cool story about Spider-Man against the Green Goblin. And when I first started doing Back to the Bins approximately 12 years ago or so, maybe longer, I don't even know anymore, I had planned to do that issue. And the same week that I was planning to record an episode doing that issue, an episode of Hey Comics, Hey Kids Comics came out where Andy and Michael did that issue of Spectacular Spider-Man. So I said, I don't want to do it right on their tail. So I never did it. And... At the last minute, I decided to do this one. Now, this one is really interesting, and we'll talk about the story in a minute. But what, what's interesting about it is it came out in 1968. And then, then in 1971, 72, the same story was printed in Spider-Man issues. Um, I think it's 116 and 117, if I remember right. Mm. Uh, it, and it, and it had to be changed because uh, 
police commissioner Stacy or police captain Stacy rather is a prime character in in this issue uh but his character died in spider-man number 94 uh no 90 maybe 92 i'm not sure in the in the, in the early 90s I, I my my numbers are slightly off but anyway his character died so they had to kind of re re uh recast re- recast and they they cast uh robbie robertson in in the, the in that part so those had to be redrawn with him in it and they also brought it up to date as far as several subplots that were going on at the time. And they kind of changed the artwork for that. And they obviously added color because this is a black and white book. So it, it's interesting to see the contrast between the two. This recently came out as one of those uh, facsimile issues. Uh, and somebody, somebody actually gave me a copy of this in that, you know, from that run. So I have a copy. I have two copies. I have the original and I have the facsimile run. Uh so I, you know, I could actually read it from the facsimile and not worry about damaging the original. Is the facsimile anyway, in black and white too? Yes. Yeah. Had you ever seen this book before I uh, provided I, it to you? I did read it. I read it when I had the uh, Marvel Unlimited subscription, and I was originally okay. going to read through everything in order, and I got up to this. Just okay. a little so bit you, past this. You read this original in its original form, not the yes, yes. changed form. So you never read the changed one? No. Oh, interesting. I, I didn't get up to that. I didn't renew the subscription. Fair enough. So I'm hey, am I rem- remembering right? Is Captain Stacy kind of like uh, he's a bit uh, handicapped or something? He's he's older. He's got a cane, right? He's and he walks with a cane. Right. Uh, you know, much much like Spider-Man's Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, he was a senior citizen when Gwen was born. Right. He was so. a, he was he was really old. He was like what, thirty-five? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna upset our our uh, fellow podcaster, our our teammate Scott Gardner, because I'm gonna use. A pre-canned synopsis. Shh. Don't tell him. Don't do not tell him. We will not tell Scott that you used a pre-canned synopsis on this synopsis. show. Because he's he's very anti-pre-canned synopsis. He doesn't like it from the can. No, he, he he likes he likes uncanned. So the cover date on this is July of 1968. And the credits are Stan Lee for the script, the layout and illustrations. It gives John Romita, and then it has Larry Lieber, Jim Mooney, and Bill Everett. Production and lettering, Sal Brodsky, John Verporten, Maury Koromoto, Herb Trimpey, Sam Rosen, and Art Simic. Research and advisory, Roy Thomas, Gary Friedrich, Archie Goodwin, Arthur Jeffrey, Flo Steinberg, and Linda Feit. So there's a lot of hands in this book, and I don't think it's a lot of hands because they didn't have a direction. I think it's a lot of hands because this book required a little bit of extra attention, and I think that's mostly, not all, but mostly because of the black and white. And and you see, especially if you can compare this to the colorized version in the later issues, uh, you could see how the inking and the printing has a lot of shadows in it that you know you'd have to do away with if you were going to put it in color. So I, I really enjoy the the black and white look on this. 
which is funny because I generally I generally shy away from a lot of the black and white stuff. Although I have to say it, it's it, it is a, a cleaner look and I really like that. But to give you the synopsis, it is Spider-Man is in the neighborhood as a man monster destroys a political billboard for mayoral candidate Richard Raleigh. Two workers installing the billboard are almost killed by the rampage, but Spidey is able to rescue them and then battle the terrorizing Titan until he is defeated and left in order to rescue the workers again from falling from a ledge of a building where Spider-Man had placed him out of the monster's path of destruction. When the web crawler returns to mop up his opponent, he discovered he's now gone. Spider-Man reverts back to his civilian identity of Peter Parker and discovers the whole city has become Raleigh Rooters and that the candidate seems to have some unbelievable hold on his masses. His pals, Harry and Mary Jane, are among his most boisterous followers, only outdone by his boss, J. Jonah Jameson, who has put his newspaper, The Daily Bugle, fully behind Raleigh's candidacy. As New York watches Raleigh on television cry for union against the city's underworld, who are obviously trying to intimidate him from running for mayor, he puts on a show that makes him seem like a common man who has the city's interests at heart. However, after the cameras stop rolling, he shows his true colors as a power-hungry egomaniac who has his own interests at heart. Atop of his interest is to destroy Spider-Man and former police captain George Stacy, who, he has learned, is looking into his background. It is revealed that Raleigh is behind the cyborg man-monster and has created Dr. Thraxton. As Peter picks up Gwen for a date and drives away, they witness the man-monster attack the home of Captain Stacy. Peter sends Gwen for help and then changes into Spider-Man in an attempt to save Mr. Stacy. The fight is carried onto the Raleigh house, which Spidey figures out must be behind the creature. He brings the fight into the Raleigh house where Raleigh uses the pain control apparatus he uses to keep the man monster compliant to his will a little too much and damages it beyond repair. The creature then turns on Raleigh and Dr. Thraxton, killing them both. Spidey finishes the fight with a vicious side hand smash to the creature's neck, apparently killing the creature. Spidey leaves as he hears approaching sirens and is seen by Jameson, who he predicts correctly will use his paper to call him the killer of Raleigh. Jameson states that he will make the public hate the fact that a man as great as Raleigh is dead, while the menace of Spider-Man is still alive and free. Now, the whole J. Jonah Jameson thing is, it's just kind of a little played, I think. So I think they could have done without that. I made a couple of notes here. Uh, when he saves, the, well, when the, the two uh workers on the scaffold see him they say hey hey, isn't that spider-man and one says well it sure ain't everett dirksen and i thought who the heck is everett dirksen do you know who everett dirksen is congressman or somebody uh he was he was apparently in the house and the senate for illinois and he died in he died in september of 69 interesting it's pretty sad that i i recognize the name isn't it it is a little sad as as he's fighting as he's fighting the uh, the man monster, uh, we we get our very typical hey no one that big can be so fast so that's why you got a hold of me. Don't these people know to you know that's that's like such a cliche on these things. I don't know why, but that bothers me. 
Then we, we cut to the, the scene when uh, Raleigh is addressing the TV audience. And right from the start, when they show a close-up of him, he, he's got the crazy eyes. Right. The underworld remind, is just declared, very much. The underworld is just declared war. War on law. He looks like a crazy person. Yeah. He wrote, and, and it looks to me very similar. I mean, this is John Romita. So it looks to me very similar to the way he would draw Norman Osborn when Norman Osborn would be, you know, under the influence of the goblin. Just with different hair. Yeah. Exactly. So then they're at the, you know, they're at this this event, and the uh, the ceiling starts to crack. So he he sends he sends uh, Gwen off to do something because he says I just remembered something important, and then he goes up and and basically uh, supports it with his webbing so that it won't collapse and they can get the people out. And he's got to use a, uh, a a web shield so that people won't see him and and figure out you know who he is. But anyway. After he he comes back out and he catches up with with Gwen and, and Mary Jane, uh, she, she you know they're like, oh, did you get pictures of him, Pete? Blah, blah, blah. Really, really, you you can't figure out that that was him. This is a guy who you're you're that close with and you can't figure out what what he may have been doing. It just it, it's, it's it strains credulity a little bit. Although the retcon is that Mary Jane knew, and it's funny because in this she she says you know. Uh, save, save your breath, Dad. We figured out you caught a glimpse of the web slinger and wanted an exclusive photo, right? So it almost seems like she's purposely making an excuse for him, mm-hmm. which kind of fits with the retcon really well. Uh, when they, they got to Raleigh's office, I find it really cool that he's got a, a statue bust of himself. How do you even get one of those made back then? You know, you hire, have to hire an artist. To, I want a bust of me. I, I want a bust of me, too. The closest I'm going to come is maybe, you know, a bobblehead, I guess. And then, But you uh, want a bust where the head flips back and you push the button and the wall Yeah. Opens. Right, I know how you operate. So, do, you, and, uh, do, you, do you think Raleigh is supposed to be John Lindsay? Yes, I absolutely do. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and then I, I happen to have this this weakness where I see a pagoda wherever I go. And on page 25, it's a full page uh, shot. And, and Thraxton, the scientist, looks like a pagoda to me. Hold on. I got to get to that. Page 25. One sec. <clears throat> yeah, I can see a pagoda. Tessio. It's fish. Yeah. Phil Fish. So I, those were all the notes I got just going through it today to, to prep for uh, tonight. But uh, I, I, you know, I think the artwork in this is outstanding, and I think the black and white really does serve it well. Uh, and like I said, you could compare it to the uh, the reprint issues to see what you think of the color ones, and and see see you know which, which you think works better. But I, I think the black and white is really, you know, again, I think that's why there were so many hands inking it and all, because, you know, you needed a lot more work on the inking because you weren't going to add color. So, you know, for me, the black and white, it's it triggers, you know, that I know it's not the same story, but it triggers that memory of when I was the kid and you'd wait for the daily news to come. 
to read the daily Spider-Man strip that they would have in the newspaper in black and white. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, fond memories. Yeah, I, I, you know, and those those were usually you know, not the level of detail as you get here. No, no. The detail here was fantastic. This is probably some of the most detailed work I've seen in comics. The amount of attention paid to the background. I mean, even cars parked on the street are so detailed in the background. It's really yeah. a well done job. It is. And and the story is, you know, from a continuity point of view, it's very throwaway, which is why I guess they were able to write it in later on and just have it, you know, be in the regular continuity. Uh, but it's it's. It was an enjoyable read just the same. And and I, I do think, you know, that you're right. I do think that it was definitely supposed to be Mayo Linseed. Uh and and in the he's got a he's got a very similar look to Lindsay. Yeah. And the whole running as an independent. That was his his shtick. Guy worth millions of dollars pretending to be the champion of the common working guy. Mm-hmm. That's to me. That's Lindsay, hundred and ten percent. I don't. I don't understand the logic of his plan, unless it's you know by trying to make it look like they're out to get him, makes him the champion of the people. Yes. But that seems like an awful lot of manipulation. That you you know you you can be the champion of the people without having to create a cyborg man monster. And potentially get yourself killed by him. Well, you know, there's nothing quicker to winning an election than to survive an assassination attempt. You can do that by just having, you know, hiring people who will pretend to make an attempt on you. I understand, but this is the Marvel universe. Right. No, it, it just seems, you know, it's it's it, it's it strange. It strains credibility a little bit is my only point. Like what? This is supposed to be what? This is nineteen what? Sixty eight, right? Yeah. Where are you going to find the nineteen sixty eight guys wearing hats? And it's was, all was, the bad. It's the bad guys. It's like a uniform. Was that totally out of style by then? Uh, I'm almost positive hats were done by sixty eight. Not for my dad. <laughs> No, my dad, really? they, they weren't done by 98 for my dad. <laughs> I mean, my grandfather wore a hat, too, but these are relatively young guys, you know, in the process of a robbery. They all have hats on. And they're the only ones with hats on. Check out, um, it's page 33 into 33, 32. They're robbing the topside uh, fundraising party. Mm. That's the way of telegraphing, you know. They're criminals. They're wearing hats. Jay Jones has got a hat. <laughs> well, there's there's no better way to to, uh, to publicize that you're a criminal than wearing a monocle or a cigarette with a cigarette holder. Look at this. Even on page um, 36, the detail in. Uh, his college, that's clearly supposed to be a Cadillac. After he meets with, the, Raleigh meets with the Jay Jonah, he's driving off. 
the detail is just fantastic on this. That's clearly a Cadillac. Yeah. So you, so you wanted that car? I take that car today. That's a beauty. <laughs> oh, did you? Would you trade what you currently drive for that? <sighs> I probably would. And that's saying a lot. Especially since the check engine light just came on. So, yeah, I would trade that car today. I mean, I guess there is a reason why uh, why we never saw this big cyborg creature again. At least not that I know of. I haven't, you know. So it's always possible that, he, that they revived him somewhere in the uh, 2000s in books that I never read. He's very Hulk-esque, you know what I mean? He's Hulk-esque, but he talks like a street thug. Yes. I meant, you know, just like the, the his face is very Hulk-esque. He's got the hair like the, the character, the Gibbon, if you know him. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. And yeah, uh, Captain Stacy looks like he's 112 years old. He, he, he looks like when Andy Griffith was doing those life insurance commercials. He could have dated Aunt May. God. They, they were pretty much contemporaries. Yeah. And like I said, they were supposed to be like 45. So I guess this, you know, this was Marvel trying to see if it could, you know, really jump feet first into the magazine market. And I mean, they did have a magazine presence with things like Savage Sword of Conan, uh, you know, eventually that wasn't out at this point. Um, what else did they, they did a. Uh, it wasn't called Tomb of Dracula, but I think it was called Dracula Lives. They uh, they also had a. Like a karate one. Uh, the Kung Fu type of stuff. Yeah. With, uh, you know, would have uh, Master of Kung Fu it would have uh, Iron Fist. It would have uh, the Sons of the Dragon. So, I mean, they had, they had a magazine presence of sorts, but they didn't really have a traditional superhero presence in there. They also had a good run on Planet of the Apes in magazine format. It seems like at that time there was a, an attempt to spread into magazine format. Charleston had some, too. It was also an, It was also a way of producing the comics that wouldn't be subject to the Comics Code Authority. Oh. So they could put out, you know, more in finger quotes, adult type topics. Not that these were particularly, you know, racy or graphic or violent more so than the comic. In fact, the uh, issue two was reprinted as a as one of Spider-Man's annuals. And I don't know continuity wise if it was meant to have taken place at the point when the annual came out because when it was in a magazine it wasn't in continuity or if it's considered to be in continuity from the magazine and that was just a reprint i don't know which way that's looked at uh, am i misremembering or were there were uh, quite a few annuals that were basically just reprints like in the beginning in the beginning when they first started coming out with them they were mostly original stories. Uh, in fact, a lot of them were uh, like uh, the first Spider-Man annual, the first Daredevil annual, the first Avengers annual were all, hey, we're going to take six of your 
big villains and put them together and, and have you face them all at once. Uh, then after about two or three years, they started doing some reprints. And, and a lot of the annuals were, were reprints at that point or after a few years. I mean, I think Fantastic Four, I think, had, I think, six issues of its annual before they reprinted anything. Um, Spider-Man, I'm trying to remember which annual they first started with the reprints in. I know. Let's see. I'm just looking back now. Eight was a reprint. Uh Seven was a reprint. Six was a reprint. So I think five five was the last original one, you know, when they first started. Uh, and then, you know, they had about five or six reprint issues. And then they started putting original content in them again. So but some series, like I think Daredevil, I think the first the first one or two only were original before they started reprints in them. Uh, so, you know, they, they had different, you know, different uh, length runs without reprints. I, I think Captain America might have been uh, a reprint right from the start, from the first annual issue. Right. So, you know, they, they, I think they didn't know what to do with the annuals. I mean, at first, I think their thought was let's make them blockbuster stories. You know, that's where we got the origin of Dr. Doom. That's where we got uh, the wedding of Reed and Sue. That's where we got the birth of Franklin Richards. Uh, you know, we got Spider-Man against the Sinister Six. You know, they, they were meant to be blockbuster stories, epics. And then I think that didn't really. Maybe the sales didn't live up to what they were hoping for. Then they started doing the reprints. Then when they came back, they they had some some decent ones, but they seemed to quickly to almost turn them into let's let's you know try out young artists and writers in these and you know see what they do. We're not going to give them the series, but we'll let them do an annual. So they seemed like almost tryouts for for the talent after right. a while. So you know I, I think they didn't really know what to do with the annuals. Right. They they, they, yeah, they were directionless. Which, you know what, I, I think a lot of what went on in Marvel uh, was by the seat of their pants. You know, when you when you look at, at books with, you know, the early appearances of Thor and Iron Man uh, and even the Hulk, it was like Stan didn't really have a, a you know, a Bible for these characters of what he was going to do. So he, he was making it up as he went along. And, I, you know, and you got to give him credit that it turned out as well as it did for flying by the seat of your pants. You know, the Thor issues, and you know, in particular, I'm thinking, you know, you'd have an issue where he faced off against uh, a supervillain. Then you'd have an, ace, uh, uh, an issue where he was in Asgard. Then you'd have an issue where he was fighting a communist dictator. And, you know, and it's like, well, you know, what, what, what's the focus of the series? I'm not really sure here. Well, yeah, I, I've read a lot of that early stuff when I had the Marvel Unlimited. I was surprised at the amount of uh, anti-communist stuff. Oh, there's a lot of stuff comics. behind the red curtain. Yep. And then there was also, you know, later on we had a lot of stuff against the Magia. I don't know if you got to that stuff. No, I didn't get to that. That was the organized crime uh, people in, in the Marvel Universe. They were in the Magia. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what that's supposed to be. Yeah, I don't know. Did they do uh, any other of these black and white magazines of major characters? Well, the Hulk eventually had one, but that mm -hmm. was in the later. That was like around 77, I think. 
And the series first came out, it was called Rampaging Hulk. Uh, and it, it was actually, it took place early in his existence. So it was kind of like a flashback series. And I think that lasted like nine issues. And then it just, instead of Rampaging Hulk, it just became Hulk. And it, it went for a while. It went about, I think, about 30 issues, something like that. Uh, and But when it changed from Rampaging Hulk to Hulk, it went to color. I'm trying to think of any other superhero stuff. They had, they had There was a series called Bizarre Adventures, and that had a couple of, uh, couple of issues that had, uh, you know, some superheroes in them. Uh, you also had Marvel Presents, I believe it was. Uh, there, were, there were two different – trying to look on my CLZ app to see what, what titles so I don't say them wrong, which I probably already have said them wrong. Uh, you had Marvel Super Special, which would be all over the map. There were superhero books. There were adaptations of movies. Uh, Kiss had a comic book in there. Uh, we had uh, Marvel Preview, which had it was also, you know, uh, it, there were uh, some Star-Lord issues. There were some issues with Thor. There, there was, you know, a bunch of different things that they covered in that. So, you know, there was definitely, like like we said, like an, an element where they were trying to get into the magazine world a little bit. But I, I don't think they ever got, it, like, a real foothold into it. Right. It's a shame because the, the artwork on this book in particular, I think, is fantastic. Well, it's, it's interesting to note, like, uh, I think, you know, years ago, Bill and I covered uh, the first appearance of the man thing, which was in one of those black and white magazines. He didn't appear first in a comic book. He appeared in a magazine first. Uh, the first solo adventure of the Punisher was in one of those magazines. Uh, and I think goes for a pretty penny now. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, so there were some actual, you know, fairly key issues. But the magazines, I know I, I've had a recent surge in my desire to have some of those magazines. And they're very, very hit and miss in the comic stores, uh, you know, and, and it's mostly miss. Most of the stores don't have much of a of a collection of them available. Uh, and then some of the stores have them priced way too high as far as I'm concerned. And then the ones that have them at a decent price, a lot of times it's just, you know, they have five books. And some of them I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't even want to touch. So, you know, it, it's a little hard to 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 find them at a decent price. You have to but visit I, eBay. You can get anything on eBay. You can get anything on eBay, but you're probably not finding those at a reasonable price. Uh, you know, I, I, Scott, Scott dropped me down the uh, rabbit hole for the, uh, the, the planet of the apes magazines. Cause he, he said, Oh, do you have these? And he sent me like three for free. Uh, the first and, three and, is free. Yeah, and, and being the the comic book drug addict that I am, now it's like I need all of them. So he did the same thing with some of the Hulk magazines. So it's like, thank you for being generous, Scott, but you're killing me. You know. So, but that's you know, I, I think I've gotten even with him on a few different series like that too, where I've given him stuff and it's started the bug on him where he's been buying them. So the the most recent one he did that for me is on. Uh, the actual comic series of Conan. Right. I think I had I had about five issues of it, and when we were at the Tampa Bay 
Comic-Con. He was like, oh, they have some some good Conan issues, really cheap here. I mean, and they were good issues, and they were really cheap. And next thing I know, now I'm trying to, to fill out the series from up to issue 200. <laughs> so... And I've probably gotten about half of them. Yeah, and, and most, by far, most of them are in dollar bins. So, you know, it's not really that bad of a thing. So, you know, I guess, as as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, this this was a little impromptu. We, we hadn't been planning this. So I'm going to make this relatively short. And I'm going to say, let's rate this. Want me to go first? If you want, you can. If you don't want, I will. I go first. Then you go first. It feels like you just shoved me out of the way and said, I'm going first. I'm going first. The cover on this book, I think the art, you know what? I'm I'm not burying the lead on this. I rarely do. The art is beautiful. It's, it's almost that painted. Would you say this is painted, the cover? Yes. Beautiful painted cover. This design of Spider-Man, as you see him here crawling. I love this look. To me, this is classic, perfect Spider-Man. I like the background. You have a building off to the side. Some of the windows are lit. Others aren't. It adds to the effect. I'm giving this cover an A. You know what? I'm going to revise that and make it an A+. Beautiful cover. I would hang something up like this. I, that's how much I like this cover. The interior art, it's clean, it's crisp, it's exquisitely detailed to the smallest degree. And I, I'm not burying the lead. This is an A as well. Story's good. It's exciting. It has some twists, it has some turns, it has that Marvel fun. Clearly, it's making fun of former New York City Mayor John Lindsay. And uh, as we said, Abe Vigoda is in it. So, an A there. My overall rank on this, A's across the board. Okay, I am not really going to argue with anything you said. Now, the cover has Spider-Man in... Very a very similar position to the cover of issue 100 of Spider-Man, if you're familiar with that. Uh, except this has him. First of all, this is a painted cover as opposed to a uh, penciled and inked cover. And second of all, the issue 100 cover has uh, negative images of all Spider-Man's supporting cast and villains uh, behind him in that one, whereas this has a street scene behind him. But very, very similar if you can picture it. Uh, I agree with you. This is an A-plus cover. This is absolutely beautiful. The interior art, I'm going to vary off you. You said it's an A. I'm going an A-plus. I think the interior art is absolutely gorgeous. I think the black and white works really well. And I think they worked with the black and white really well by giving it shading, giving it just the, the, the right amount of uh, intensity. The backgrounds are all very, very detailed, as you brought up. So I, I don't have any quibbles, quibbles at all with the interior art, A+. The story brings it down slightly because I do think it was meant to be very, very standalone. Uh, so it doesn't really have the, uh, the epic feel that I'd want to have in, in this thing. Uh, but I could easily see this being 
like a movie. It has a cinematic feel, even though mm-hmm. it's not yeah. really, you know, it's not really a big key to Peter Parker and Spider-Man's existence overall. But I think it's really well done. I do like the the satire of Mayor Lindsay that, that we're getting here. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that it, it's just overall it's well done. I, I don't really feel any there's any real weaknesses to the story. So I'll agree with you as an A on that. So it's an A plus, an A plus, and an A. And overall, I'm going to give it an A plus. I think I, I really, I'm, I'm top, I'm, I'm very high on this book, and I don't think it's just nostalgia. No. It should. It bears mentioning that following the story that we went over, there's a second story called In the Beginning, uh, written by Stan Lee and and penciled by Larry Lieber. Stan's brother, and penciled really well by Larry Lieber, to be honest. It looks very John Romita-ish, uh, and it's inked by uh, Bill Everett, and it's just a retelling of Spider-Man's origin. The only quibble I have with that is his Peter looks like the John Romita Peter just with glasses, whereas I think I would have wanted it to look a little bit more like the Steve Ditko Peter, only because that Peter looks younger. And I think the younger look, you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker was supposed to be 15 when he became Spider-Man. And he looks too much older in this. Uh, so that's my, my the only negative I can give you on, on that story, really. But it's it's a good retelling of the origin. Uh, so it's an, an extra bonus in there. And then at the very end, there's a page where it says, next issue, don't dare miss the rebirth of the Green Goblin. So, you know, they were already ready for issue two. Sadly, we never got an issue three. And maybe, even though it's been on the shelf for 12 years that I haven't done it, but maybe one day soon we'll do issue two. Why not? Yeah, why not? So that's our look at Spectacular Spider-Man number one, numero uno. And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.